What's up, y'all? Welcome to Better on the Inside, a podcast about working for a church, going to church, being the church without losing your soul. My name is John. I'm your host and digital pastor on this journey and in this conversation. Today, I get a chance to talk to David Hayward, aka Naked Pastor, who has amazing cartoons and art and all of these things, and also has a great deal of experience being a pastor in a church setting. And he has a lot to say about what that what soul care can look like and what it looks like to create healthy systems and healthy forms of church. And man, I love his heart for the church and I love his heart for people, a true shepherd. And he creates some some amazing pictures in this conversation. Hey, if you want to be a part of the conversation, uh, subscribe, continue to subscribe to this rate us five stars. If you love the podcast, you can also be a part of our Facebook community, facebook.com slash groups slash better on the inside. Hey, without further ado, here's an awesome episode with David. What's up y'all. I am here with David Hayward, AKA the naked pastor, (laughs) David, how you doing? I'm good, John. How are you? Awesome. And I'm sure nobody's ever made this joke before, but I can report to you on this podcast that the man is wearing clothes right now. I am. I'm one of the modest, most modest people out there, and I have the craziest name. So, so <laughs> don't match, right? But uh, I am super modest and shy. And here I've got this crazy name, Naked Pastor, for my artwork and my cartoons. So. Go figure. uh, But I love it, though. And so uh, David and I met. uh, I've been an admirer of his art for a while. But my friend Rob Fike, friend of the pod, uh, has his own podcast, uh, a couple of them. I freaking love this movie and rebooted. Um, He sent me... Uh, he put us in a DM thread together and really invited him on, which was really cool. Thank you, Rob, for being my talent booker there, uh, which was awesome. But David, you make art that comes from your experience with church and mm. all of those things. So why don't you tell me how, like, tell me a little bit about that story and what started you making this art? Sure. So um, thanks for having me on your show, John, and hi to everybody who's listening. Um, I, I, I've been in the church ever since I was born. I was born into the church, you know, uh, I was born, I, I'm Canadian. So I was uh, born into the Anglican church. I was baptized as a baby, grew up through the church we weren't ever loyal to any one certain denomination because we moved around a lot. We went to the most convenient church that we liked. So I, I didn't ever feel any denominational loyalty, but, you know, so I've been Baptist, Pentecostal, you name it. Right. Um, but eventually I got, uh, I went to a Pentecostal Bible college in the States. That's where I met my wife, Lisa. Um, uh, I, then I went to seminary, became reformed in my theology, became a Presbyterian pastor, oh, got wow. ordained. And uh, eventually we ended up in the Vineyard Church, which is kind of a mixture of Baptist, Pentecostal, evangelical with charismatic uh, yeah. kind of expression. Right. And um, But then in 2010, I left the ministry. I'd been serving the church as a pastor for about 30 years. Uh, I'd been blogging as a naked pastor for about five years. I started that in 2005. And so I thought, well, I'm leaving the ministry. Why don't I see if I can make naked pastor you know, a thing, a full-time gig. And yeah. it took a few years, but here I am. I do naked pastor full-time as well as my paintings and books and, you know, other things that I do. And um, yeah, so I, I grew up in the church. I was around the church. I pastored the church. I've been in all different kinds of denominations under all different kinds of leaderships, anything from 
high Orthodox liturgy Catholic to the craziest Pentecostal <laughs> snake handling yeah. as you can imagine. I've been everywhere. I call myself I'm, I'm my own ecumenical movement because because <laughs> <laughs> I've been in so many places. But I learned one thing, that the church is here to stay. I value the church. I appreciate the church. But can we please do it in a healthy manner? That's my mm. concern. So a lot of my cartoons are challenging the church to live up to its mandate of serving the people. Uh, sometimes I think the church gets it backwards that the people are supposed to serve it. Mm. And uh, so that's that's what I do. I, I, I challenge um, systems to live up to their mandate as well as their representatives, leaders, authorities. And I try to encourage people to be as uh, to feel validated and encouraged in their own spiritual journeys. So that's sort of the double edged sword of what I do. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Where did the name naked pastor come from? Well, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I accidentally entered an auction (laughs) for the website. I don't remember, but anyway, I got a notice that I'd won the auction (laughs) and I thought, Oh no, how much money do I owe? And it was, you know, it was, it was like $78 or something crazy because obviously nobody else wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, at that time, um, the naked chef, the naked archeologist, the naked truth, all that right, was right. at the time. And I thought I want to blog as a pastor, but I don't want it to be like other pastor blogs. I want it people to be able to see what the life of a pastor was really like with all the struggles, conflicts, doubts and fears, financial yeah. struggles, you know, um, anger, you know, all yeah. I wanted to, you know, pull open the curtain so people could see behind it what really goes on in the ministry. So that's what the naked means, naked pastor, just honest, vulnerable, transparent. Yeah, man. And yeah. I appreciate the authenticity and it feels like, Maybe even more so now people are drawn to that authenticity. I don't know. First of all, blog boys, shout out to the early 2000 blog boys making it happen. Um, But uh, I think people are even more drawn to the authenticity now, like just uh, to see things in a naked way, right? Without covering, without artifice. And so I, I think that's really cool. Yeah. It's kind of funny back then um, it was inappropriate and, I I think I was ahead of my time, but now it's, you know, it's kind of cool to be authentic. (laughs) Yeah, it is cool. Although I thank God you won it in the auction because I wonder what somebody else would have done with it. Uh, You're you're saving the world from something horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so I recommend people when they're searching for naked pastor that they use one word, naked pastor. If you use two words, you're going to see things that you can't unsee. Oh, not safe for work alert. Oh, yeah. Don't Google it. We'll put the links in the show, uh, in the show, um, in the show description so that you could find it. Well, one of the cartoons, like the first time, like I know that I'd seen your cartoons, but the first time I saw your cartoon that affected me emotionally, and we were talking about it just a moment ago, was the one where there's a church, right, drawing, and there's people coming in the door, but then there's people getting put in the dumpster out the back. And that just, that broke my heart because I do think I, as part of 
a large church, working with large churches, having my own experience with church. I think that's how people have felt sometimes in the church. And so art can be such a powerful way to surface issues. That's what you talked about. And in your heart is caring for the church and loving the church, but the art kind of surfaces the issue. So what, when did you start like just drawing, like, were you always an artist or was that something that came about? Ever remember not drawing. My dad was an artist. I was always watching him paint and draw. So ever since I was a little kid, I've been drawing, but, um, you know, and I, I started my blog way back before it was Naked Pastor. I think my first blog name was churchpundit.com. Mm. How pretentious, nice. eh? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, and I would once in a while share one of my paintings. And one day, though, it was in 2006, I believe, um, I really love a good cartoon. Like, and my gold standard for me is the New Yorker cartoons. I just love them. And I thought, I'm going to try to convey what I'm trying to convey through a cartoon. Yeah. And um, they just took off. And so I, you know, started using that as my main means of communication right. and expressing myself. And so I've been doing it now for uh, 15, seven, 16 or 17 years. Yeah. I have thousands of cartoons in my arsenal. I just came out with a book, by the way, if I can mention it. Uh, oh, Flip heck it, yeah. Flip It Like This, which is my best of cartoons. So um, I'm really proud of it. And it's a really cool coffee table book or something you can leave at your parents or gift to your pastor or, yeah. or whatever. And, um, but yeah, it, it was a lot of hard work to come up with like 125 best cartoons out of thousands. But Many people who do follow me and like my cartoons will recognize most of them in there. So, yeah. Cool. Where yeah. should we buy Flip It Like This? Should yeah. we buy it through Amazon or should we buy it yeah. directly from you? Okay. Not from me. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Indie Books. Uh, somebody emailed me yesterday. I just found your book in Stowe, uh, Vermont, uh, a bookstore in Stowe, Vermont. So, it's like nice. it's, it's around. Yeah. So, just or your local bookstore can order it in for you. That yeah. would be awesome. Check out that book. What uh, I'll I'll get it for sure. What you. would you say is your most popular cartoon? Like what was what is there one that's like stands out? Well, if I can mention two, there's there's two of them right now that are very popular. The first one would be Eraser and that's where it shows a bunch of people with fat pencils drawing lines in the ground um mm. and they're drawing themselves into boxes. And then Jesus is in the center of them with his big fat pencil upside down, erasing the lines. Yeah. And they all look frustrated that they're trying to separate themselves with lines and Jesus mm. is erasing the lines. I love that cartoon. Yeah. And so do a lot of other people. But another one is Overturning, where it's kind of an action cartoon uh, where Jesus is flinging out his arms and tables and coins are flying everywhere, um, where he overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple. Yeah. And uh, that one, that's another popular one of mine. In fact, somebody just emailed me yesterday with a picture. They got it as a tattoo on their shoulder. <laughs> that's awesome. It when, awesome. You, when you inspire tattoo art, that's like yeah. somebody put it permanently on their body. Yeah, that's so true. that's yeah. like hugely significant. That's a whole other level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you think? So in all of your cartoons and these specifically, what do you think connects with people about those? Cause for both of them, they're, they're a little bit more 
I won't say radical, but they're a little bit more of an active Jesus, right? A yeah. little bit more of an active thing. So why do you think people connect with those? I think what connects people with my work is that um, for for many people I hear, number one, I'm not crazy. Hmm. I'm not crazy. I'm not alone. And also, this is the Jesus I fell in love with. Mm. And it's I've lost that, you know, the sort of the radical, universal, compassionate, um, groundbreaking, radical, uh, you know, that we have a tendency to tame our heroes mm. and domesticate them. But uh, I think for a lot of people, this this is the kind of message they resonated with when they first um, sense a spiritual awakening in their lives. Yeah. And it just touches, um, I think, their sense of um, love and, and justice and mm. um, acceptance and, and authenticity, all these, all these things people resonate with. And I, that's the kind of thing I talk about in my cartoons. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And man, the Jesus people fell in love with. That's such a beautiful way to put it because Jesus is such an attractive magnetic figure mm -hmm. and it, you see it in the scripture, you see it in the scripture, but as a pastor, you also see it in people's lives. Like yeah, this, right. this Jesus that you're talking about, the, the Jesus that brings love, that brings this draw the circle wider, that is talking to the notorious sinners that are, you know, that's mm. speaking truth to power. This is a Jesus that people like, are just drawn to. Yeah. And how do you think when people get involved into churches, sometimes it feels like they lose that Jesus. So why do you mm. think churches can kind of tame Jesus like that? Well, can you imagine having a church full of Jesuses? <laughs> well, that would good be point. good point. Chaos. Right. Um, and, and so the church, and it's understandable, and it's the same with parents and teachers and the military and, uh, you know, the medical field, the, the post office. Yeah. The, the, I, um, uh, the, we're DMV, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 control managing people becomes the priority because you don't want a mess mm. and uh, you want order. And, and so it's just, it's just the nature of the beast yeah. where um, you get a few people together, a system, a system starts to form. It needs to be organized. It needs to be managed. And as a result, you know, it eventually loses its heat it loses its fire because um, all the energy is going into the bureaucratic maintenance of, of the system. So yeah. I think if church can figure out ways to keep people in community while preventing the bureaucratic, uh, I don't know, um, uh, yeah. disease from there leaking in, um, I think that should be the one of the church's major challenges, and and so I think I think that's what happens just over time. It's and it's you know it's talked about in philosophy and social analysis and everything mm -hmm. where when something a movement starts, there's just a lot of energy. The founder dies, it crystallizes into an organization, and then eventually it you know cools. Yeah. 
and eventually dies. Another radical comes along. They start another movement. They die. An organization forms around you. Know, yeah, this, yeah. This cycle of of how things go. And I think if the church can be conscious of that natural cycle, it is natural and it's totally understandable. But if we can somehow prevent that from happening and keep the energy, it's kind of like marriage. Mm. I've been married a long time. I've been married 42 years now. And well, you know, it takes work to keep the romance alive, right? It's not, you have to, and a lot of it is preventing things from killing the romance. Mm. It's not Mm. like you're trying to fan romance into flames. It's like you're trying to keep things at bay that will kill the romance. Yeah. And it's the same with church. If you can keep things away, keep things at bay that, that, will kill the romance. Yeah. Kill the energy, kill the passion. Then I think you're onto something. Oh man, that is so cool. And I know that all my church staffers or former church staffers were nodding their head when you talked about bureaucracy um, yeah. of just like all that energy that goes to it. But I love that picture that you painted of, I mean, it's almost like the church is described as the bride of Christ, right? Of yeah. this marriage of not losing our love for our first love. Yeah. And uh, I think part of what you talked about is the institutional church, the organizational church, the 501c3 organization seeks to kind of control and order that yeah. um, and keep it and crystallize it. Like you said, it's a natural process. It's not that's not a critique of specific leaders or critique of a, of a specific system. It's just the, the order of things. Um, right. But part of what you were talking about is instead of like creating this little bubble that other things can't get in. Uh, uh, instead of creating this ordered system where it it's self-driving, mm-hmm. you're kind of talking about doing preventative work to not lose the love of your right. first love. And that's what the church should be. Yeah. And that's kind of a, I got to be honest, this kind of a mind blower. Like it's simple, but it's also like, that's a really cool thought. Well, well John, it's, it's kind of like planting a garden. Like when you plant a seed, let's say tomatoes, you plant a tomato, seed and it eventually grows into a nice um, plant and Mm -hmm. tomatoes start to form. What's your job? Your job is not to pull the tomatoes out of the plant. Your job is to keep pests away, remove rocks, Mm. weeds, uh, keep the earth soft, add nutrients and so on. You can't force it to grow tomatoes. What you do is you create the environment for it to do what it will do naturally. And so that's my belief about church and community. When people gather together, if you just leave them alone and try to prevent things from going stale and becoming bureaucratic or becoming automatic, um, things will happen. It it will, it will grow. So that, that's my, my belief about, about community is mainly keeping things out of the way. (laughs) That's all. That's a whole word though. Because one, I love the organic description of the church. I think yes. a lot of us think of churches as factories now. Like I, yeah. I think that industrial and then as we're moving to digital, digital kind of language and imagery creeps mm. in. It's about efficiency. It's about mm. scalability. It's about mm. all of these things. Whereas if you're looking at it as a garden, like an organic thing, to your point, you can't make anything grow. You no. just you just try to create the conditions where things can that's, grow well. That's exactly. Wow. And so that's always my advice to pastors and churches and so on is provide the conditions. Um, if you impose um, rules 
and, and so on, on how this should work. It's kind of like when you throw two lovers into a bedroom and lock the door, you don't need to instruct them on what to do. <laughs> That's true. And so I, it's the same way about church or community. That is actually an illustration from Martin Luther, mm. uh, the theologian. Yeah. Um, and and uh, it, it really is true. So, and I think if churches can learn that and trust that process and not be afraid of the chaos yeah. um, and, and just enjoy the creative chaos uh, that it will bring. Um, and I, you know, I've experienced that in local churches. I've experienced yeah. that online. And I know it's true that when you um, just provide the conditions for a community to happen, uh, it happens. Dang that. Okay. This is, uh, this is so like, uh, this is so counterintuitive, right? Yes, and, but yes. you put it, you put it in such good language that it gets me excited, right? <laughs> of, oh, you get me fired up. So, but so how practically let's maybe make it a little more practical. Okay. How can we as pastors stay out of the way? Right. How mm -hmm. can we, how can we create the conditions for love? Right. And mm -hmm. kind of stay out of our, uh, our, our penchant for trying to control or to, or, or to meddle too much. How, how do you mm -hmm. think is a, what's a practical way for us to do that? Oh man, there's so much, uh, but I love using the analogy of a good, healthy family. So let's say with my family, my a wife, a husband, father, and mother. We have three kids. They're grown. Um, we basically provided the environment for our kids to become their most authentic selves. Yeah. We offered guidelines. Um, we would give advice. Yes, there once in a while there were rules, um, but um, mostly it was providing uh, for them a safe place to grow up and learn how to become independent, self-determining, authentic uh, adults. Yeah. And, and it's like them in the car watching you drive for many years. And, and finally, you're in the passenger seat watching them drive while they have their beginner's license, what we call their beginner's license here in Canada, yeah. where they can drive, but you have to be in the car. And then eventually you just have to say, okay, you're on your own and they, they drive. It's the same with the church. It's the same with yeah. any kind of community. If you want that true authentic community, it re you really do have to let go. Hmm. And, and um, you, you really have to relinquish control and you really have to step back and you have to allow, um, you have to watch mistakes happen. Yeah. You have to trust people. Um, you, and there'll be some messes to clean up, but it'll be, It'll be wonderful to watch the community develop into a healthier, more dynamic, and even um, an influential presence in the world. Yeah. I, I've seen it myself when when communities are given that provided that kind of a space, the energy there is just amazing, and it overflows into the community around. So mm. um, that's that's my advice. Now, yeah, it's hard for pastors because Ooh, yeah. we are. We, we've been taught how to lead, mm. uh, how to manage, um, and uh, it's really, really difficult to, to let go and, and let other people drive. But <clears throat> if, if you want true, authentic community, that's what it's going to take. Um, 
if you want to exercise control and, you know, strong leadership and visionary thinking and all that kind of thing, you'll get that kind of church, but it will not provide um, the authentic community so many people long for and look for. Yeah. And um, you, you have a choice, mm. I'm afraid. You do have a choice. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, so, um, yeah, that's, you know, Jesus um, the, in the Gospels is portrayed as a very – um, freeing mm. kind of individual. Right. Basically, I'll put words in his mouth. Basically, he was like, follow me or not. I, I don't yeah. care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is my truth. Yeah. And this is who I am. And, you know, sometimes there were crowds and sometimes there weren't. Mm. And, you know, that vacillating up and down um, inconsistency, popularity, yeah. Um, notoriety, you know, that up and down of his ministry is what happens. And it's the same in families. There were times when we had great relationships with our kids and then we felt distant from our kids and now we feel great again. And, you know, yeah. it, 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 that's just what community looks like when, when you let go of the wheel and you let people, um, you know, take the steering wheel of their own lives. It's that kind of a risk. Yeah, man. That was but, a long answer to a short question. Sorry. Oh, that's a no, that's a wonderful answer because you talk about a few things, but seasonality is one of the things. And seasonality mm. is something that a more industrial or digital view doesn't accept, right? We can get strawberries right. at the grocery store 12 months a year, but that's not how the cycle actually works. Right. right. There, there's a seasonality to everything where in winter you eat certain things in summer you eat certain things. And that's kind right. of the the environment Jesus was raised in and probably why he came when he did, because he appeals to just natural metaphor a lot because uh, yeah. it, it's just how it worked. Right. And yeah. so it, we have it a little bit different where it's like, if I want it, I can get it generally within a day. Right. You order it mm -hmm. from Amazon mm -hmm. and it shows up and you get all kinds of fruit from around the world. And so this idea of seasonality and letting things cycle. It's kind of the opposite of the up and to the right visionary leader philosophy of you always have to be growing. You always have to be having new people. You always have to be making more money. You always have to be. Okay. You're back. Yeah. I froze up for a second. Oh, um, and that is just the opposite of what Jesus is, is talking about. The seasonality is opposite to that because you can't control that kind of growth, but you're also, I think yeah. the the unique thing about what you're saying is you're also yeah. not in any way condemning growing influence or growing church, or it's just a natural cycle. It's a thing that will happen. And, and Jesus kind of showcased that. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. The seasonal and I, you know, I experienced that in, in the churches I pastored and, and so on. But I, I don't know. I just had this sort of uh, yeah. drive to be authentic and free and knowing what it tasted like. I, I wanted the people in the congregation to feel that and sense that as well. So for me, the burning question is, um, uh, so in a, in a church, I think if a church struggles with this question, mm. how can I be free without violating your freedom, John? And John, how can you be free without violating mine? If the church can struggle with that dynamic, I think yeah. they're on their way to being a healthy community. Um, because, th 
you know, the, the, the kind of, uh, church that allows for people to be free, it's going to cause chaos, but that's the fun of authentic community. If an, if a community is following rules for behavior, mm. then there's no, there's no worries. You're, you're preventing chaos from happening. Yeah. And, and I understand why yeah, it really does, because yeah. chaos sucks. <laughs> but if you're not in a community and you want free people and, and you have to, uh, figure things out as you go. That is what community actually is. I remember I had a, I had a small group meeting in my home and, um, you know, we, we were just starting and this was going to be great. And we had all this enthusiasm about right. it, but we kept having to deal with issues in the group. I was like, if we, okay, we got to deal yeah, with this issue. Yeah. And then once we deal with that, we can get on to the better things, you know, and, and then we deal with this issue. And then next week, another issue would happen. Okay. We have to deal with this. And we were and, and I thought, man, if we could just get rid of these, deal with these issues, we can move on and be that community. And then it struck me. Mm. This is actually yeah. how community works. It's, it, We're it's actually doing mess. the work. No goal. Yeah. yeah. But that's, that's what community is, right? So it's like, it's like with Lisa and I, my wife and I, we've been married 42 years. We have the romance. Everything's there. But if we kept thinking, right. you know, if we could just get past this, we could move on to the real passionate you know, romance that we've been longing for. But actually, it's doing that kind of work that provides the space for the romance, right? That's the weeding and the softening of the ground and the nurturing of the ground. It's the hard work of uh, yeah. providing the, Man, the space for romance. A lot of people to listening happen. to this might not be in positions of leadership at mm -hmm. church, and they might just be... Uh, kind of attending or figuring out where they stand with the church. Uh, I, I think a lot about them because so much of the system has right. shaped even our leaders. You talk about like you got free and you were able to feel free and who you were and showing yeah. up and doing your thing. And so you wanted to pass that on. And it feels like a lot of our leaders haven't experienced that freedom. So it's hard for them to give it to people. And so for the people who are, who are been in kind of a consumeristic system, they show up on Sunday, they sing songs, they receive it, they go into the programmatic thing. They're kind of on a, you know, the way I almost think of it is like the like a, like a walking escalator where it's just like, Hey, this is spiritual growth. And you just kind of go through it and you just receive it and consume it. How can you switch from a consumer <laughs> to somebody who's more free? Like you're talking about. Well, okay, John, you're opening up a big can mm. of worms because you need to want it. I mean, I'll admit when I'm in the airport yeah. and there's an escalator sidewalk, yeah. I'm going to get on it because it's easier. And I've been a pastor of a church where I was encouraging freedom, spiritual independence, authenticity. Mm. I've got news. Many people don't want it. I actually had people sit down in front of my pastor's study desk and say, wow. we pay you to tell us what to believe. I mean, it's not that surprising, but it's yeah, also wow, kidding. right? Like, and oh, but that's people prefer the security and the comfort and the predictability of the leeks and onions of Egypt than they do the promised land that they haven't seen yet, and and the dangers that they have to walk through to get there. And um, so, freedom is not easy, as we know. Like we know stories of. 
uh, convicts who are released into the world and, you know, they, they got to go to a halfway house or many of them can't yeah. make it on the, in the outside world. And many of them want to go right. back. They long to go back to that predictability, that security, that sort of comfort and the fellowship and everything that they had there. It's really, really difficult to live mm. a free life, but that's your choice. Free with danger or yeah. in slavery wow. with all the, you know, comforts that it comes with. And so it's, it's the same in the church. A lot of people love being told what to do, what to think, what to believe, what yeah. to say. It's, it's convenient. It's like that escalator sidewalk in the airport. And uh, rather than pulling your own bag, walking that long mile to get yes. to the next plane, like many people prefer the easier one. Mm -hmm. And so that's just the human dynamic. I'm not judging I'm just saying that's just a human dynamic. I learned that for myself as a church, you know, when I was yeah. saying we're going to, we're going to be free. We're going to yeah. allow others to be free. And I thought this church is going to blow open. This is going to like ah! explode. No, we lost people. And, and, yeah. And so <laughs> what can you do? Like that, <laughs> but, just, but. Uh, human behavior uh, and human, that's why church is so difficult. That's church is not easy. And I, 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 I've been there as a pastor for 30 years where, you know, you want to be free. Pastors want to be free. They want to yeah. be raising <laughs> free sheep, uh, people, sheeple, I almost said. Um, but uh, mm. they know the cost. They know the cost and the risks involved. But, you know, I, um, I, I saw this beautiful photograph of a, uh, Albanian shepherd and um, he was it yeah. was all the girls were saying this guy's a hunk like this guy's just gorgeous and it was this young handsome man who's a shepherd and uh, you know in his rugged clothes and and uh, just a really handsome fellow all the sheep were ahead of him and he would just follow the sheep wherever they were grazing you know and mm. very 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 seldom do you see the shepherd out in front of the sheep and um, sheep just basically go where the food is. And the shepherd yeah. watches, is there poisonous plants there? Are there dangerous animals? Is there a cliff? You know, all this kind of thing. But mostly shepherds just wander around with the sheep. And I think that's a good model for pastoring, where you just, you're with your people. Uh, you let them wander. Uh, you're there yeah. for guidance if they need it. And you're there to warn if there's, you know, if they need it and so on. But that to me is yeah. a great model for pastoring, but it's, it's difficult. I get it. I totally get it. It's so much easier to provide rules, boundaries, yeah. controls, you know, stipulations and structure and all that stuff because it's predictable and it prevents chaos from happening. I mean, shepherding is a great image. I mean, that's why what Jesus used, right? That's why, I mean, the word pastor really isn't in the Bible per se. Like he, he's calling them shepherds, right? And Peter feed my sheep. Right. And, and, Jesus is using these shepherd analogies. He calls himself the good shepherd. And so this idea of following the sheep and again, preventing, right? Mm -hmm. Being preventative um, to keep, to let them be free versus keeping them contained that man, that's right. a whole word. Yeah. It's, it, really does yeah. it, it really does compare to the tomato plant I mentioned earlier, where you just keep things out of the way and 
it'll grow. Yeah. The same with sheep. They'll find the grass before you will. They'll find the water before you will. They can smell it. And, um, you know, just that kind of hands off, but oh, you're, man. but you're there for them. Forever. And uh, they know it. Yeah. Well, we didn't, no. know, we didn't really predict that this was all going to be, but I love it, but that's why the conversation is so fun different. because there's discovery in here. <laughs> and like the, one of the powerful things to take is that there's a choice and freedom is a choice. I heard a pastor once call it, it took the Israelites very little time to get out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get the Egypt out of them. And that is what you're talking about. It's how do we, how, you know, Jesus talks about us being free and no longer slaves yeah. to sin, but how do we become free people and not have the slavery living in us? Um, because we easily become slaves to something else, right? Another mm -hmm. system that's mm -hmm. over us that mm -hmm. tells us what to do because it's like, well, at least we had three mm -hmm. square meals a day and a place to sleep, right? Like that's the Israelites, every other chapter of, <laughs> yeah. And it's eat, oh, but then you don't get manna. Oh man, exactly. dude, yeah. David, you are awesome. I love this. We're, we will have to have you back on and continue this. But before we go, there's a very important segment uh, called the non-judgment zone of joy. And okay. I always sing a theme song to it because yeah. it started as if like I was going to get a theme song and then I sing it. And I guess like the guys just keep me singing it because maybe they like to laugh at my singing. And I've been working on customizing, because I'm not a very good singer, but I work on customizing it for the guest. And so you're like a Canadian dude. And so I'm, I, I don't, uh, so maybe I'll go with like, I'm trying to think of, I mean, I know that there's like Rush, but I don't know if I could do it in Rush style. Uh, the, you know, Alanis Morissette. There's a lot of great Canadian artists. Uh, Celine Dion. Okay, there we go. We'll go with Celine. Oh, yeah. uh, the non-judgment zone of joy, kind of yes. an interpretation by Miss Celine Dion. Um, it's the non-judgment zone of joy. Um. I think I nailed it. <sighs> yeah, Celine, I am the greatest singer in the world. Um, the uh, so the question is, what is bringing you joy right now? Well, I'll tell you. For me, it's uh, I have I have to get out of my head. And just be in my body. Mm. So for me, it's going for walks, being out in nature. Mm. Uh, I live on a river, you know, just going down to mm. the river, um, being in the forest, taking the dogs for a walk, you know, breathing the fresh air, forest bathing, as the Japanese call it. So for me, that's what's uh, going to the ocean. We live near the ocean here, the Atlantic. Um, so for Lisa and I, that's what we're doing a lot of no. It's just. Being inner bodies on the earth. I love so that, that. for me is that is fantastic. Is hey, David, enjoy. thank you for being being a part of this. Nakedpastor.com. Mm -hmm. Check his yeah. stuff out. He is on the socials. All your socials are naked pastor. Yeah. Okay. But don't search it separately because you don't yeah. want nightmare fuel. One word, <laughs> naked pastor. One word. Well, Make it one word. That's right. <laughs>
Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. David, thank you for joining yeah, us. So this has been fantastic. <laughs> it has been a blessing to me, and I think it's going to bless others too. Thanks, John. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me on. Hey, yo, David was awesome, wasn't he? Man, I loved my time talking with him, and I was really inspired. Uh, a lot of what he had to say really uh, it filled my heart, and it, it touched my soul in a very deep way. Um, his genuine heart for people and love and care is just, I mean, overwhelming in a lot of ways. I mean, really, truly incredible stuff. Like, and I love what he has to say. Uh, if you have not uh, purchased this book, Flip It Like This, you should absolutely do that. I purchased it. I read it. My 10-year-old is super into it. Uh, he likes to read it at night before he goes to bed. I think there's comfort, something comforting about his images of Jesus and the inclusiveness of all that and just the love that pervades. Uh, you can check him out at Naked Pastor, uh, you know, at Naked Pastor on all socials. Also, Naked Pastor is his website. Don't Google search Naked Pastor with two separate words. Make it one word. Otherwise, you're going to be in a world of pain and hurt. Uh, don't do that. Just don't do that. Uh, if you want to continue to be a part of this conversation, you can join our Facebook group, uh, facebook.com slash group slash better on the inside. We'll put a link in the show notes as well so that you could join us there. Rate us five stars if you like it. Recommend us to your friends. Share it. And of course, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right. I love y'all. I'll talk to y'all later.